Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. It gives me great pleasure to be able to talk to Dr. Rebecca Waldron today about her experiences in adventure and expedition medicine. Rebecca is an F4 doctor, which means that she's in her fourth year after qualification, but she's intending to apply to general practice. She's got a keen interest in environmental medicine and enthusing others about it as well. And also, she's my younger sister. Rebecca's just returned from three months away doing expedition medicine on a boat with Sea Shepherd as the ship's doctor. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Well, I suppose to get us started, how did you end up working for Sea Shepherd and accessing that opportunity? Well, I really wanted to spend some time outside of the normal clinical environment because I thought it would just be exciting. And I really like adventure. I really like to travel, but I wanted to do it in the service of something that I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I spent some time looking at how I could use my existing skills as a clinician for an environmental cause and also to get me out of the country for a little bit after being cooped up for a few years with COVID. I can imagine a lot of people would be having similar feelings after that isolation, as you explained, but also expedition medicine and doing something a bit different seems to be a, a real driver for a lot of people. You mentioned that you were interested in conservation, environmentalism. Just why do you think that environmentalism is important to healthcare and primary care? Why is it that you wanted to do that? So... To answer this question, I think it's important to say, first of all, that environmentalism is a term which encompasses a million different issues. It's not just global warming, it's not just climate change and those words we hear all the time. So some of the things in environmentalism have a really obvious direct impact on health, like air pollution's impact on respiratory health, which I'm sure you've all heard about a great deal. <laughs> But within every issue under the huge umbrella of environmentalism, there's an indirect impact on health because everything on the planet is interlinked and interdependent and individual issues multiply and they create huge impacts on health together. And some of them may not be obvious. So, for example, with air pollution, they actually increase risk of preterm birth, preterm rupture of membranes and stillbirth. But other things like soil degradation from decades of intensive farming has caused decreased vitamin and mineral content in crops, and that impacts nutrition. And anything which increases carbon emissions or destroys carbon sinks contributes to climate change, which increases the likelihood of extreme temperatures. And we all know the huge health burden that has. And these million issues are not distributed evenly across populations, but tend to disproportionately affect people of lower socioeconomic status who already have a higher disease burden. And that's something that in general practice, you see every single day. So that's why I feel that environmentalism is hugely important to healthcare. So what did you decide to do about this to contribute to this cause as a health professional, as a doctor? So for me, I had spent quite a long time in my foundation years trying to work out what I could change within the hospital. And I found it really, really difficult. And it was partly because a lot of it just didn't enthuse me. And I really care about marine conservation. So I decided to use the skills that I have as a clinician to work for a marine conservation organization, Sea Shepherd. And I think that that's what healthcare professionals should be doing. Of course, it's so important to change things within the hospital, within your clinic, within your practice, but only if that's what gives you energy, because you shouldn't try to change something which doesn't give you energy, or you will not have 
the energy to change it. To do it. Mm. It's very sage words. And oh, I think thank there's you. A, <laughs> well, there's an element of role modeling here as well. I think doctors as upstanding uh, members of society do have responsibility to show others um, the, the way and show others what, what might be important um, day to day. Um, so, I mean, you've mentioned Sea Shepherd a bit about marine conservation. So what did you actually do with Sea Shepherd? What, what, was your, what was your role? What was your job? So my role was as the medic for the entire boat, which consisted of about 23 crew and then 10 people from the West African country with which we were working. And my role was a number of things. I uh, looked after people day to day with their daily illnesses. I did infection control when we had a COVID outbreak. Uh, I was a shoulder to cry on because it's really hard to be away from home with terrible internet (laughs) Um, and unable to speak to the people that you love. And also it's, it can be a really challenging environment and quite upsetting when you're seeing the horrendous fishing practices that are happening. So there were loads of different roles. And then also, as well as being the medic, I also did some other things like getting involved with crew life. I went on boardings. I also was a quartermaster, so I spent time on the bridge. I had a night watch, which was thankfully (laughs) only four hours, so easier than being in the hospital. But it was every single night. There was no four nights on and then some zero days it was every night for three months <laughs> yeah that's it so a bit a bit of a culture shock something very different to normal and a mm. definite expedition uh, how long are you away for it was three and a half months in total yeah and i think that might be quite common with people doing big expeditions how did you cope with that how did you cope with being away for so long it was hard i think that video calling is one of the best things that's ever been invented. Yes. Uh, it was difficult on the boat because the internet was not very reliable. So I used to sort of save up all of my calls for when we were at port for 10 days and then call everybody. <laughs> and uh, and thankfully, uh, WhatsApp was working. So voice messages were also an option. But as well as that, just really embracing the people on the boat and and embracing them as your new family because they were for three and a half months. I think people doing big expeditions like that, you do develop a new family, you do develop those connections. And I think that's one of the things that, one of the reasons that people do it, in fact, isn't it? To create those connections with others and our fellow man and the like. Um, Okay, so it sounds like you had a huge range of things to do on your expedition and a huge range of problems to address. How did you prepare for, for this event, for this expedition? So I did a few things. I went on an expedition medicine course. I shadowed at a GP surgery. And I also did a lot of personal reading and research, especially about tropical medicine, which with which I have very little experience. Yeah. So, gosh, I mean, so it sounds like a lot of the things that you did whilst you were away, and we've talked a little bit about this before, um, were very much GP type things. How did that compare the time you spent in a GP surgery, and again, I can appreciate a lot of our listeners are going to be GPs. How did that compare to the work that you were doing on Sea Shepherd? It was very much what a GP would see. There was a lot of, I've got something in my eye, I've got something in my ear, what's this rash? <laughs> and um, 
The hardest thing was not having access to very many tests, which was really why I wanted to shadow in a GP surgery before I went, because I am used to working in a hospital so far in my career and having the whole hospital available to test my patients for whatever I fancy, really. And so I was interested to see how people coped with that level of uncertainty and not having tests come back right away. Though I have to say, even in the GP surgery, you have way more access to tests (laughs) than you do on a tiny little hospital room uh, on a boat where I had basically COVID tests, pregnancy tests and a glucometer. (laughs) (laughs) So very limited. And I think you learned lots of things whilst doing that. And we're going to come on to that in our the part two of this this podcast. Um, you mentioned your your adventure medicine course there. Um, what did it cover? How do you cover the things that might come up on adventure medicine or in expedition medicine? It was a really fantastic course, actually. It was uh, lecture-based for part of it. We talked about things that you will only really experience on an expedition, for example, altitude medicine, extremes of temperature. Uh, What else did we cover? We did dentistry, which I found extremely useful (laughs) because I actually had to do a filling while I was on the boat and I wouldn't have had a clue how to do that otherwise. And there were practical elements too. Something I really enjoyed was learning how to do radio communication, which was constantly used on the boat. Also, we learned how to do... Uh, how to make a traction splint out of a mug and a stick and some rope which was fantastic and at the end we did a big exercise where we had to do orienteering to find a point at which some paragliders had uh, come down and we had some fantastic volunteers who had made amazing recreations of a fake open femoral fracture and we had to transport them keep them warm that sort of thing it was quite all-encompassing and it was run by people who have experience in the field in many different areas of expedition medicine and it really gave me a sense that this was something that I actually could cope with gosh getting getting back some practical skills and also sounds quite exciting quite a an interesting way to expand your skills and find out more about about operating in uncertainty well, sounds awesome. So obviously we talked a little bit about why you wanted to do it and why you wanted to get into um, this expedition medicine. How did you go about finding this opportunity? We didn't, didn't really cover that before. I found a website called The Adventure Medic, which has blogs from a lot of medics who have done expeditions before. And like I said, I wanted to do something environmental. So I specifically wrote environmental into the search bar and I read some blogs and I found, unfortunately, that a lot of the opportunities that some medics had had in previous years were not available anymore because of COVID. But thankfully, Sea Shepherd still needed doctors aboard their boats. They're still doing campaign after campaign. So that was how I found that. And I reached out to the person who'd written the blog and made my application. Gosh, right. Were there other things that you considered? Were there other elements of expedition medicine that that you came across that might tantalise other people uh, that are listening? There are loads of humanitarian things that you can do, of course. I struggled to know which ones to follow because some of them charge you a heck of a lot of money to essentially do something 
that is your is your job and that you have a lot of knowledge for and I didn't really want to do that because the ethics and the morality of that is is challenging sometimes but there were amazing things like being the doctor for the Kilimanjaro trek and um and going across going across deserts and that sort of thing and going into tropical rainforests so there were so many things that you could do they didn't have to be environmental brilliant well it it sounds like an extremely inspiring and exciting thing that you went through what what would you say would be the reason that other people might want to do expedition medicine or adventure medicine it's something that really stretches you especially for me uh, quite early on in my career I really wanted to learn how to rely on my own abilities a bit more and that's something that GPs have to do constantly and that was really valuable for me and why would other people want to do it I think if you have a sense of adventure you like to stretch yourself and challenge yourself you want to go to other countries but you don't necessarily want to have an entirely hedonistic (laughs) constantly doing new things uh, every single day experience then it's good and also I got free board and lodgings while I was there so that was really fantastic sometimes you just don't have the money to to do something new every day and to travel in a different way so this was a really cool way to do that without breaking the bank brilliant and a completely unique experience I think a lot of people seek for a bit of Um, uniqueness in their career and different experiences and also to break up long periods of training you know as you say you're an f4 which means you've done six years of medical school two years of foundation and trying to figure out something that gives you meaning and passion in your life Um, I think back a few years ago when I was between training working in Sri Lanka it wasn't quite as um it wasn't quite as adventurous as what you experienced, but learning about new cultures, learning about new people and learning about these different aspects of healthcare, I think is fascinating. will only make us all better doctors. Um, Definitely, yeah. Brilliant. Well, I, I think we're just looking to how we might be able to activate and how we could bring these great experiences to other people. If you were to give people some advice about getting into expedition medicine, what advice would you give them? My advice would be to think outside the box. Until I did the expedition medicine course that I mentioned, I never really thought about all of the different things that you could do. There were people there who had been the medic for ultra marathons in different countries. And uh, there's a horse race across (laughs) Mongolia that's uh, really famous that has a lot of traumatic injuries and someone had been the nurse for that, which they had found an incredible experience. And also there's a lot of stuff about working with kids on adventures that they go on. And I really love education. That's something that I'm interested in. So I think it's not just, it's not just being the doctor for Kilimanjaro. It's also so many other different things and you need to explore those options. Though it can be hard if you don't know what to Google for. <laughs> it can be really hard to find things on the internet. So you need to be patient and forgiving with yourself if you don't come across the perfect thing straight away. That's it. And I think ask others about their experiences and get linked in that way um, because you find out that other people's experiences help guide you forwards and and inspire you too. Definitely. And I met lots of people on the course 
who gave me some really fantastic ideas. And in fact, somebody who had been the medic on a Sea Shepherd voyage before, which was really useful <laughs> to understand if it would be the right opportunity for me. And I you know, don't want to name drop, but things like LinkedIn, you can find networks of people who have done these things before who will open you up to opportunities you wouldn't have otherwise even thought about. That's amazing. And I think particularly relevant to GPs because we are generalists, we are pluripotent doctors, I like to say. And the skills that you've learned about interacting with people, um, dealing with limited resources, education as a key part of what you've experienced, I think are all great GP skills. And we really look forward to welcoming you into the GP family in the future. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, I think finally, just to close, a lot. I think a lot of people sitting at home will be thinking, yes, I really want to do that. Yeah, I've I always had thoughts about doing expedition medicine, adventure medicine. How did you turn your wishes? How do you turn your hopes into actions? How do you turn your intentions into this amazing experience? I put aside a year to do this, which I know a lot of other people can't do. I'm not saying that you need to, but I think it's important to create a time, a time in which you're going to prioritize something that you really want to do. We talk about smart goals, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time bound. And so for me, it was specific that I wanted to do something abroad. It was, it was achievable because I have the skills that were needed. And I set an intention for this year. If people want to do this sort of thing, they don't need that amount of time. For example, with Sea Shepherd, I could have negotiated down the amount of time that I spent on board. That would have been fine. It's just that I wanted to devote more time to it. And I think also it has to be important to you because there is an element of sacrifice involved. Although you get this incredible experience, this travel, this new way of looking at everything and meeting new people. I also did spend three and a half months away from home, which was difficult at times. And you don't always have access to the internet and able to talk as you would like to with the people that you love. So be reasonable with your intentions and your aspirations, but put aside time for it and be brave as well. That was something I found really hard. I kept telling myself that I wasn't good enough, that I was too inexperienced. And actually, that wasn't the case. And I'm really, I'm proud of myself for going through with it because it was a little scary before I left. Brilliant. Well, fantastic words to end on there. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for sharing your experiences of your Sea Shepherd adventure and expedition medicine. I'm sure that you've inspired lots of people at home to take those steps and to find out more about something that really gives them drive. And I'm glad to say that we've got a part two of this podcast to come about some of the things that you encountered while you were away and dealing with that uncertainty. So I'm really looking forward to that, that other conversation that we're going to have. But for now, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Waldron. Uh, it's been really great speaking to you. Thank you very much. Cheers. So thank you all for listening. We hope you found this podcast helpful. Please do have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com. And we'd be very grateful if you would consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. 
You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. 